So we give ourselves to you afresh, Lord Jesus, right now. What an amazing thing that we hold in our hands, the very words of God. We love this book, Lord, because it's your words, and we love you, and we love your words. And I pray that today I'd be faithful to teach what's in your word. I pray that you'd help me. I pray that we would be faithful to receive your words, to trust your words, to obey your words. So come and pour out your grace upon us now for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Let me just start by recapping kind of where we've come in this series we're going through on the story of God. We're we're coming towards the end. I think got a couple more weeks left. We may go over a little bit into March, so I'll need to change the, uh, the little artwork. But anyway, we started off talking about eternity past. And what we saw is that from eternity past, God has always been, which is amazing to think about. And the scriptures teach us that God has always been full of joy in beholding his glory fully displayed in each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So from eternity past, God's always just been bursting with joy in his glorious perfections. And so from this joy, there just stirred forth a passion to display his glory by creating. So he created to display his glory so that he could share with others, us, the joy that he has in beholding his glory. Which means that the the entire universe, everything that is, all of reality, is about God. Beholding his perfections, his glory, worshiping him, trusting him, adoring him. That's what all of reality is about. It's all focused on him. And so he created, made a perfect universe, an amazing world. Created Adam and Eve, as you read in the first chapters of Genesis. And he gave Adam and Eve life. Amazing gift, just like he's given you. You have life. You get to be alive. And he's given you a body, which does amazing things. He gave Adam and Eve bodies, and he gave them to each other as husband and wife. And he promised to provide everything that they needed, to guide them flawlessly in their decisions. And most important of all, he promised to satisfy them in knowing him in in his own presence. But tragically, Adam and Eve did what what you've done and what I've done. Even though they knew clearly from all that God had done that God was flawlessly good, perfectly loving, infinitely wise, creator of everything, and even though they knew that they were just little created beings who'd received everything that they had from God, they did what we've all done and they refused to trust him and they rebelled against him. Genesis 3, the fall. And because of that, God withdrew his blessing from them and from the earth. And God allowed the earth, Adam and Eve, all of us to come under his curse. Which will culminate in eternal punishment. Because he's a perfectly just God. But the story doesn't stop there. That's just Genesis 3. Got a lot more to the story. Aren't you glad? Mwah! Love that story. Okay, so... God had purposefully allowed all this to take place. This is no surprise to God what had happened. He purposefully allowed it because he was going to bring an even greater display of his glorious perfections, seen in his mercy and his love 
all focused most clearly in the cross. This is amazing. God chose to save a vast multitude that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Vast number of people. He chose to save them. But to save them, their sins had to be punished in someone else. And so, in great love, this is the display of God's glory in the cross. In great love, God chose to punish his own son for sin. And so the cross was God the Father because he loves us. He punished Jesus. The horror of the cross was God punishing his son for your cross, for your sin, for mine. And Jesus' love is displayed there because the cross displays Jesus' love for you that he'd be willing to be punished by the Father for your sin. So the cross is the center of history. It's the, the, the spotlight blazing with God's glory. An awesome display of God's glory so we can have even more joy in beholding him. And so, after the fall, everything in the Old Testament was God preparing for the coming of Jesus. All through the Old Testament. God let sin blanket the earth so that it would be clear to everybody there and so that we can read and see we need a savior. God saved Israel from Egypt with many mighty signs and wonders and then the whole Passover thing which shows not only what we all deserve, death, but that somehow our punishment would be taken care of by the blood of a lamb, picturing Jesus. And then God set Israel in the center of the nations and had this nation during their centuries of history offer thousands and thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices so that we today could see, so that all the nations around them then could see what God was going to do, how he was going to take care of the problem of sin. And then prophecy after prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And then finally, 2,000 years ago, it all culminated and Jesus came. God came to the earth in the person of Jesus. I mean, just let this get you. God was here. God was here. And if you would have seen him, and if your heart had been changed so that you were able to own up to the truth, you would have come and fallen on your face before him because you'd see his love, the love of God in Jesus. You'd see the the wisdom of God, the power of God, the wrath of God, kicking people out of the temple, the, the humility, grace of God, welcoming children. You'd have seen God. And so Jesus lived, God in the flesh, and then Jesus died, paying for sin, Jesus rose from the dead, God demonstrating that this is not a common criminal on the cross. Oh no, this is my son. Raised him from the dead, and Jesus ascended into heaven, and we saw last week that Jesus then poured out, he started that torrential downpour of the Holy Spirit that had been promised throughout the Old Testament, the outpouring of the Spirit so that we could experience, feel, know God in the person of Jesus imparted to us by the Spirit. So that's that's where we are. So, The next question is, what's Jesus doing now? That's what happened at Pentecost. What's Jesus doing now? And to answer that, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. And if you need a Bible, I'd like you to have one so you can look on. A couple of different passages we're going to be looking at. So raise your hand, we'll pass one to you. Matthew 16 is on page 822 in the Bibles that we're passing out. This passage teaches us a lot of stuff, but I want to focus on one truth in this passage, the truth of what Jesus is doing now. So look at Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Did you all get Bibles? Page 822, start in verse 13. 
Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that phrase, Son of Man, is just simply a phrase that Jesus used to describe himself. So he's just saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock of me being the Christ, the son of the living God, on the rock of that truth, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, which I think refers to death, talk more about that some other time, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So again, there's lots we could talk about from this passage, but I want to focus on one truth. It's what Jesus is doing now between Pentecost and the second coming. What Jesus is doing right now is building his church. I will build my church. Okay, now there's immediately a problem because in our culture today, the word church usually still means to many people, a building, so we think of Jesus like being this kind of architect building all these buildings, or to a lot of people, it still means like maybe a service or a meeting. So Jesus wants to have there be lots and lots of meetings going on. But the Greek word does not mean a building or a service or a meeting. What the Greek word refers to is a group of people. It's a group of people, an identified group, a loving community of people. And so there's some passages in the New Testament where the word church refers to like one individual group of people, like when Paul talks about the church that meets in somebody's house. It's a church right there, it's a church. The word church can also mean all of those individual, maybe dozens of individual groups of people, like when Luke talks about the church in Galilee and Judea and Samaria, in in Acts uh, 9 verse 31, for example. So, When Jesus says, I will build my church, what he's meaning is that he's going to multiply dozens and hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of these individual groups of people. That's what Jesus is doing between Pentecost and the second coming. He's building his church. Dozens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of these groups of people. I want you to get a little feel today for for the passion that Jesus has for the church. We read in Ephesians 5 that in the past, Jesus loved the church, gave himself up for the church. In Acts 20, we read that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Blood bought church. That's past. And then we read that in the future, Jesus is going to present the church to himself as his what? Bride. So between purchasing the church with his own blood and presenting the church to himself as his own bride of the second coming, what Jesus is doing is building his church. That's what's happening in history right now. I will build my church. Think about it like this. Jesus wakes up tomorrow morning 
Okay, of course, we know that Jesus never slumbers or sleeps, so just, just, a, just an analogy. He wakes up tomorrow morning, and he's, if he's got a list of things to do, which he doesn't need because he's got a perfect memory anyway, if he did, there'd be one thing on his list. Build my church. That's what he's doing tomorrow. That's what he's doing today. That's what he's doing Tuesday. He's building his church. Every day this week, he's building his church. This is Jesus' passion. He's building his church. Okay, so if what Jesus is doing is building his church... And if we're following Jesus, what are we going to be doing? Building his church. And so, the next question I thought we needed to address is, what is his church? What is Jesus' church? So that we're all on the same page here. And I'd like to share with you nine crucial traits that I see in the scriptures describing Jesus' church. What is his church? Nine, Nine crucial traits I want to mention. First of all, This might be obvious, but it's got to be mentioned. Jesus' church is a group of people who trust Jesus as Savior, Lord, and heart-satisfying treasure. If they don't trust Jesus, it's not a church. Okay? And the reason I say that is because of Matthew 16, 18, we just read. He says, on this rock, on the rock of Jesus being the Messiah, on this rock of Jesus being the Son of God, it's on that rock that people are built as his church, which means that we're built, it's people who are trusting Jesus. Church is people who trust Jesus. Oh, are you trusting Jesus? I mean, are you trusting him to forgive you for all your sins? To change your heart? You don't need to be discouraged at how unspiritual you are. Okay? I'm just like you. But he changes our hearts. You can trust him to forgive you, to change you. You can trust him to provide for you everything you need. To guide you flawlessly. To strengthen you, comfort you to raise you from the dead, to bring you to his presence, to be satisfied in knowing him forever. Anyway, that's church. We could talk a lot about trusting him. That's the first one. Second one. I'm going to move through these kind of rapid fire here. It's a group of people who join with other believers to be a church under the authority of God's word. Too many people think that just because they're trusting Jesus, that they're automatically part of the church. I don't see that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, church is always a group of people who are joined together, flesh and blood tangible. You know, Billy and Jane and Jackie and Bob. Okay, it's people joining together with others to be a church together. And it's got to be under the authority of God's word. Ephesians 2, 19-21 says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Third, Jesus' church is a group of people who are led by a team of men called elders. Acts 14.23. I'll let you read all these verses on your own, okay? Just for the sake of time. Fourth, Jesus' church is a group of people who practice water, baptism, and celebrate communion. Baptism, that's like the first step you take. You're trusting Jesus, and you go public by being baptized. Bring you into the water, shows you're dying to the old way of living. Bring you back up out of the water, showing that you're being raised up to a brand new way of life, trusting the Lord Jesus. That's baptism. You can see that in Acts 2.38. We looked at that verse last week. And then communion, which we're going to celebrate this morning. That was especially established by Jesus. So it would help us remember his death. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's communion. Baptism, communion. Fifth. Jesus' church is a group of people who practice biblical church discipline. I mean, one of the, one of the great benefits, in fact, we talked about this, Jay was sharing with us yesterday at the men's breakfast. It was so good to hear him share. Um, one of the benefits of being part of a body of believers 
having brothers and sisters in your life, is that we can help each other see our blind spots. We've all got them. And we can help each other overcome sin. Sin is a deadly enemy. And you need brothers and sisters who humbly, gently, not in a kind of a judgmental, weird way, but humbly, gently coming alongside you will help you. I need brothers and sisters to do that. You need them. Vital. And you can see how that works out in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moving ahead. But I want to talk like for a long time about each of these. This is painful. Okay. Sixth. Jesus' church is a group of people who gather regularly to encourage each other, worship, pray, share spiritual gifts, and be taught God's word. You can read all those passages. Please do. Learn them. Think deeply about them. Seventh. Spend a little more time on this one because this is an area, in fact, these last three are areas I think the church in our culture needs to work on. We need to work on it. I'm weak here. We're weak here. Most all churches are weak in these areas. So seventh, Jesus' church is a group of people who so love each other that they devote their lives to caring for each other. Look at 1 John chapter 3.16. I want you to turn there. 1 John 3.16. This is page 1022 in the Bibles we just passed out. Here's some background. When Jesus saves you, One of the amazing things that he does is he pours his love into your heart. And so you feel his love. You know his love. You experience his love. Your heart is filled with his love for you. You're secured. You're satisfied. You're full of hope for the future. That's what he does. And one result of Jesus pouring his love into your heart is that you will love people. You love everyone. Lost people, everyone. And there will be a special dimension of love that you will have for those who love Jesus. And so when you connect up with a group of believers who love Jesus, you will love them. So when, when a group of believers join together to pursue church life, they love each other. They encourage each other. They pray for each other. They listen to each other. They forgive each other. They speak the truth to each other. Right? They're together. And they're so devoted to each other that, well, you can look at 1 John 3.16. This is an amazing statement that John gives us. This is so radical on what church life is. And we, I, the church in the U.S. especially, we need to really think deeply about this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, brothers and sisters. So church means being part of a group of people who are laying their lives down for each other, who are that devoted to each other. Now, if you take your life and if you lay it down for a group of people, what's left? Nothing. You just, you just laid it all down. Okay. You're, you've devoted yourself to a group of people. Now, you can't lay your life down for, you know, 100, 130 people like we have here this morning. It's just, it's just, that would not stop. It wouldn't mean anything. But you can lay your life down for 10 people. That, that, that's, that's more tangible. You can, you can do that. And see, church life means that. That's what we're seeking to pursue in our home groups. A tangible flesh and blood group of people who look each other in the eye and they say, as Jesus gives me grace, I'm going to lay my life down to care for you. Wow. You see that? 
We know love by this. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We're, we're that close so that we rejoice when one of us rejoices. We weep when one of us weeps. If somebody else has a burden, it's my burden. We're like a body functioning together, right? Now let me share one of the first times in my life when I saw this displayed, when I, when I saw it in real life, and it just blew me away. This is when Jan and I were down at UC Santa Barbara going to school, and we were in a little church nearby there. And there was a guy there named Don, and a uh, dear guy. He housed me for one summer there for free, and just, I mean, amazing guy, Don and Shirley, dear people. But Don worked for IBM. And Don understood this. He had laid his life down for this little, little, little group of people, little believers at El Camino Church there. He worked for IBM, and IBM decided they were going to transfer his group to New York. But as Don thought about that, and as he prayed about that, he said no. And part of the reason was because he had devoted his life to this group of people. This group of people and their well-being was more important than the job. And so he stayed there in Santa Barbara, quit, and God provided him another job. Do you see how, oh, laying down, you mean you're, like you're really laying down your life? Yes. Now, don't misunderstand this. I am not trying to make you all have to stay here at Mercy Hill forever. <laughs> we know what you're up to. I wish I could. No, if, if, God calls, if God calls you to leave Mercy Hill Church, you've got to go immediately. He could call all of you to leave tomorrow, and then uh, I'd go back to real estate, whatever. Okay, it's, it's all right. Okay? But it should take Jesus calling you to make you willing to tear your heart away from a group of believers. Right? You should love your brothers and sisters so deeply. Jesus, are you sure? It shouldn't be because I got a transfer or we like Reno better or we got a little bit of friction here. Hello? I don't see this very clearly and I would guess that none of us see this very clearly because we have a church culture, sadly, where church is kind of, it's just a consumer item. You can just, well, you, I'll find another one. Yeah, we're, we're th- glad there's lots of churches around. But do you love the people you're with so deeply that it would be like, oh Jesus, if you're calling me to, I will, but it's going to break my heart. Because I've laid my life down for these people. You've called me to. You feel that? This is so important. Because if we don't get this, San Jose will not be stunned by our love for each other. And Jesus said that they would be if we loved each other the way he called us to. Don't you want to stun San Jose with a love that's inexplainable? Why would he quit his job for these, these people? Have you seen them? <laughs> They're just ordinary people. Now again, you understand, I'm not trying to make you all stay here at Mercy Hill Church. Okay, If God calls you to go, please go. Okay, Do, Are we clear on that? Because I know, it's like, what, 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 what do you, what's, what's he really saying? That's what I'm really saying, okay. So maybe, maybe nobody will be here next Sunday, and that's all right if God calls you. <laughs> Who so love each other that they devote their lives to caring for each other. Do you have a group of people to whom you're devoted in that way? Lindsay Vaughn, is that her name? Downhill? I heard from the cabins that when she was interviewed, she was like, getting her medal, she said, I've, I've given my life to this. 
right? What would it mean to give your life to learning skiing? You, you, you devote yourself to it. Jesus is calling you to give your life to a group of people. That's church life. That's church life. Do you have a group of people that you're that devoted to? Okay. Okay, you might say, well, now, wait a minute. I, I need to be devoted to my family and my kids. And uh, that's absolutely right. And you need to lay your life down for your wife and your kids. But let me add this. One thing your kids desperately need is to see you parents having a group of brothers and sisters for whom you are laying down your life. They need to see church life modeled in you if they're going to see Jesus clearly. So do this all together and it'll work out. Do it with your kids. Be part of community with your kids. God will work it out. He's an answer. He's saying, How's that going to work? Ask him. This is his word. He'll make it clear how it works. By the way, I'm just so thankful for our home group leaders here at Mercy Hill. We have home group leaders who are pursuing this, who are seeking to lay their lives down for you. Make their job easy. Okay? Make their job easy. Ask them, how can I help you? How can, how can I help you? I want to lay my life down with you for this group of people. How can I help you do that? Ask them. Okay, that's seventh. Eighth. Jesus Church is a group of people who are devoted to making disciples. This is just as radical, I think. Matthew 28, you know the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, and his, that's command is for all, every believer. And see, somehow we've gotten the idea, and I, I'm not saying that all of you have this, but it's, just, it's, in, it's in the air, the, the Christian culture air that we breathe, that basically church life means going to meetings faithfully. And if you go really faithfully, then you're part of church. And, and there's benefit that comes from meetings. We're having a meeting here, okay? I'm glad you're here. But going to meetings faithfully if that's all you do, you are missing a massive part of what church life is to be. A huge part of the joy, of the camaraderie, of the fellowship, is in advancing the gospel together. Taking risks with your neighbors together. Sharing the gospel with people at the workplace and hearing each other's stories so that you can rejoice in it and weep in it and thank the Lord for it together. A huge part of the joy and the camaraderie is this. And if you're not pursuing this, if you're saying, let me, I'll, I'll bring it this way. If you're feeling bored with your Christian life, and if you're not pursuing this, then your life is boring. Your Christian life is boring if you're not pursuing this. The problem is not the Christian life. The problem is that here's a clear command that Jesus has given us to pursue. Now we're going to come back to this, and I know it's like, well, how do I do that? And I'm not really, I don't feel very confident, and I'm right there with you. But I promise you, see, this is good news that he calls us to do this, because every command Jesus gives includes a promise that he will enable us to do it. He will do it. I mean, right? What can you do apart from abiding in him? Nothing. If you abide in him, what can you do? You'll bear fruit. Another way of saying the same thing here. Okay? So Jesus' church is a group of people who faltering and stumbling, and we don't feel very good at this, but we, by your grace, are going to make disciples. 
Is that what you're, is that what you're pursuing? Or do you see yourself as called, I'm called to make disciples. I, I get to make disciples. I get to help people come to know Jesus. Oh, there may be years of a Christian cultural churchianity that keeps you from seeing that right now. Oh, may God just like bust it off of you. So you can see. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Go, make disciples. Invitation to life with me in pursuing that. Okay. Got to keep going here. Ninth, here's the result of that. Jesus Church is a group of people who because of seven and eight, love and mission, they will regularly see people coming to know Jesus. And they will regularly plant new churches. My basis for seeing that is the book of Acts. Okay? Early book of Acts, the church was in Jerusalem. End of the book of Acts, the church, churches, dozens, hundreds, thousands of churches have been planted throughout the Mediterranean basin and the Roman Empire. How'd that happen? Well, one way is by powerful church planters, like Paul, right? But it wasn't just Paul. It's that every member was committed to advancing the mission. They were all involved in making disciples, all of them. Okay, so every church will regularly see people coming to know Jesus, and they'll send out teams to plant new churches. New churches close by and far away. So, now I just need to give another little comment here, a little don't hear this as my desire to have Mercy Hill become a real big church. It's not my point at all. In fact, my dream would be to send most of you away to go plant churches. It's not because I don't like you. because I love Jesus, and I love his church, and I love San Jose, and I love the nations. So, if, if, if God worked so powerfully that we sent out teams of people to go plant churches in the South Bay or to the nations, and there were like 20 people left here, that would be a big old win as far as I'm concerned. Do you hear that? So the goal is not, okay, Steve wants a big church. No, I'm not sure I could really handle that. Um, but I'd like to plant dozens of churches. Okay, so I want you to make sure you see this and feel this. That's Jesus' church. That's his bride. Now, I've got some very good news, and that is Jesus will build his church. He will build his church in the South Bay area. He will build his church to the nations. And he calls us to partner with him. And if we all work together, all of us here at Mercy Hill Church, if we work together, we can see home groups multiplied, lost people coming to know Christ, marriages healed, families restored, people just freed from sin, and Jesus magnified and glorified. As we work together, because Jesus says, I will build my church. This is what he's doing today. This is what he's doing tomorrow. This is what he's doing Tuesday. And as we partner with him, we will see that happen by his grace. Not because we're all that special, but because this is what he's doing. And he loves to work through weak, faltering people. Like me. Like you. He loves that. So, last question. How can we partner with Jesus in building his church? How can we do that? Every church has to figure out how Jesus is calling them to do it. Okay? And I want to share with you how I believe Jesus is calling us to pursue this. I'm assuming it's different than how he's calling Venture to do it or how he's calling Gateway to do it. Great churches. Every church has got their call for how they're to pursue this. Let me share with you how I believe God's calling us to pursue this. First step, trust Jesus. Abide in Jesus. I would guess some of you are rocked. I hope you are. 
by the issue of laying your life down for a group of people so that they would become before anything else except family and Jesus, right? Anyway, and I hope maybe you're rocked by the fact that Jesus is calling you to make disciples. That's a good thing to be rocked. But bring it to the Lord Jesus and talk to him about it. Say, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I can do that. Are you really calling me to do that? Help me, Jesus. Change my heart. If you'll change me, I will. If you'll help me, I will. What can I do today? What can I do right now? Forgive me for how I haven't. Help me to do. It's in your word. Help me to see this more clearly. So trust Jesus. Abide in Jesus. I mean, it all starts with trusting Jesus. It continues with trusting Jesus. It ends with trusting Jesus. You cannot grit your teeth and do this. Please don't even try. Because it'll be self-righteousness if you think you're pulling it off. And we don't want that. Come before the Lord Jesus. Bend your knee before him. Ask him to help you. And he will. That's the first step. And that's the continuing step. And then second, choose a group of people to whom you're going to be devoted. Here at Mercy Hill, that means home group. Choose a home group to whom you will be devoted. Home group is where we most fully pursue and experience church life here. It's a, it's a handleable group of people. A bunch of ordinary, very ordinary brothers and sisters. But I could, I could lay my life down for 8, 9, 10 people, 12 people. And then let Jesus so fill you with his love day after day after day that you devote yourself to caring for them, praying for them, serving them, reaching out, building, encouraging, listening, loving, speaking truth to them. Now let me give you an illustration. We all know that the New Testament, Paul talks about church life being like a body. Church is like the body, like a physical body. Many parts, one body. Right? And so every part's essential. You've all heard that. Or if you're, if you're new, it's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Read those passages. I want you to think about this. The way we think about home groups is a home group is a community of people who, who love each other. And there's two different times that they meet together. They meet together Sunday mornings with other home groups. This is a, this is a confederation of home groups here. Worship, taught, spiritual gift, sharing, get the vision of home groups, get built up to do home group together. That's Sunday morning. And then they meet together once a week as a home group. It's a, it's a community of people who are together every day of the week in some form, ones and twos, whatever, but then Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. Now, when you join the body of Christ, when you join, say, a home group, it's like you know, you're a part of the body, your essential part. Let's say you're an arm. Okay, That's why they picture the arm up here. All right? It's like you're an arm, and, and now the arm got grafted on. <laughs> this is helpful, right? We, yes, okay. Oh, need stuff. All right, so arms are good. So you you joined a home group, and this is really a good thing. In fact, well, we got two of them. Hey, hello. All right, we, this works. All right, okay. And so when you become part of a body, you are that essential. Which means, take a Sunday morning gathering when your home group is here. If you're not here, well, the body will be weaker. Right? Oh no, just me alone. Huh? Okay. What am I gonna do? All right. Or Wednesday night, or Friday night. If you're like, what if you're not there and like one lung isn't there? <laughs> okay. Or like a knee is gone. Okay. Right. Feel it. I mean, what do you think Paul was saying when he said that the church is a body and every part's crucial? So it's just a theory. When you're not there, 
We're less. Now, I also need to say that there will be times when Jesus calls you not to be there. Right? Hello? I go on vacation sometimes. All right? I get sick. I missed a home group four, five, six weeks ago. That happens, right? So don't be all like, oh, man, this is getting really rigid here. Well, listen, hear me out. There will be times when you have to miss. And the body will suffer then. But if Jesus allows that, all right, we're going to make it. There's other times when you don't have to miss. Right? There's other times where if you thought, the body's going to be missing an arm. Well, whatever. What's on TV? Something terribly wrong if we think that way. Do you feel this? Okay. Foot, eye, arm, ear, lung, backbone. Okay, hope you're feeling this. So when I say choose a group of people to whom you'll be devoted, not a legalistic thing, but just, oh Lord, help me. This is much, much more than I thought it was going to be. If you're saying that now, yes, because it is. It is much more than we thought it would be. But it's what the book says, right? Okay, third, pursue the three rhythms. First rhythm is faith. We've talked about this before, but here's three daily rhythms flowing in Jesus' life that will produce this kind of life, body life, church life. Faith is the first one. Take time every day where you lay everything else aside to be before Jesus, to sit at his feet and hear his word, to talk to him, to worship, to meet him in the scriptures. Please, please, please. Your home group needs you to do this or the arm is going to be atrophied, right? I mean, strong, buff, all right? We need buff, strong arms. So get that time every day. Second rhythm is community, your home group community, where every day, flowing out of love that Jesus pours into your heart as you spend that time before him, flowing out of that love will be every day, I love these people. What can I do today to serve them, encourage them, help them, meet them? Okay, call them, email them, go have coffee with them, share scripture with them, go hang out with them. Third rhythm is mission. Flowing again, Jesus pours his love into your heart so you love lost people. You love people who don't know Jesus. And so every day you want to do something to help make disciples. Do something to help people come to know Jesus. So you're praying for lost people. You're meeting people who don't know Jesus. You're, you're telling them about Jesus. You're serving them in some way. Three rhythms. Now here's what we're praying will happen as we pursue this. Here's a picture of our present home groups. Can we kick that up there? Nice. Very good. Okay. Very fast. So here's our present home groups. And what we're praying is that as we pursue our, these three rhythms, faith, community, mission, we'll be strong. People will be coming to know Jesus, drawn into the community. We'll be growing strong together. Leaders will be raised up and new groups will be branched out. And so, voila. <laughs> you guys are really, really good. I like it. Okay. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Think of the marriages strengthened. Think of the people in bondage to pornography being freed. Think of the poor being helped. Think of neighborhoods being transformed. Think of Jesus being glorified. That's what we're praying for. And then what if these three groups up here, we've done this before, but I just want to keep this before you so you see it. This This is where we're going. What if those three groups up there, God's doing something unusual there. 
uh, a leader arises, kind of shepherding those groups. God's calling them to, they think maybe plant a church. The elders pray and God says, set apart for me these three home groups to the work that I've called them to. And so the elders bless, we help, we do whatever we can. And that becomes a church in its own right. There it is right there. See, the little red dots are churches. Okay. So that's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying that God will do. And I want to call you to pursue that. This will cost you. You cannot do this and not have it cost you. Oh, it'll cost you. It's like Lindsey Vaughn. Cost her. Big time. And what you will get in seeing Jesus' glory is infinitely more valuable than an Olympic medal. Think about it. That's what we're asking the Lord to do here. It'd be an amazing thing. It's not because we can do it. I feel totally incapable of doing this. And you should too. That's a good thing. But he will do it. I will build my church. And he does it through people. And so as we all work together, as we come before the cross together and say, we can't do this. Who is adequate for these things like Paul says in 2 Corinthians? Jesus, help us. He will. He will. If we will follow Jesus in this, I'm not saying the exact same thing like this will happen, but we will see something like this happen. We will. Now let's move into communion. Okay, let's have the band come on up. Here's what I want us to do. The best place we can go right now is to the cross. Because what I'm hoping you're feeling now is, I'm not sure I can do this. And that's a good thing. That's what you're feeling. And the best place to go with that is the cross. So we come before the cross and we say, Jesus, help us. Because everything you need is yours at the cross. You might want to ask Jesus to forgive you for maybe idols you've had in your life that have kept you from really devoting yourself to a group of people. Lay that at his feet. You might even say, I've got an idol. I'm not sure I can get free of it. Lay it at his feet. Ask him to free you. He will go to work. Ask him to pour his love into your heart. There may be somebody in your home group that you don't really like very much. Okay, that happens. We're just people. Okay, if you visit one of our home groups, you'll see. Okay, it's like, oh, really? Really? These people, that's us, okay? And people hurt each other and we cross each other and we're just people. So you may need to forgive somebody in your home group right now. Okay, have you pulled back from people because you're not forgiving? But everything that we need in doing this will come to us through the cross as we come and just say, Jesus, we see this in your word. Help us. Thank you that we can be rooted and grounded in such a love. Perfect, all-powerful, infinitely wise, sovereign love. We can be rooted and grounded in your love right now. What a foundation. What a rock you are. What a God you are revealed in Christ. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.